0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, hello, my friends. This is Pastor Andy, and I'm really looking forward to this podcast today. This is a little different than normal. Normally, we just upload our Sunday messages, our live services. But we had some technical difficulties and weren't able to record. And so here we are. This is actually more podcast style, if you will. Just me sitting with a cup of coffee at my kitchen table, just talking to you. Normally I'm talking to a congregation, and today I'm talking to you. Uh, There's a couple reasons that I wanted to do this this morning. And number one was this is part of a series, just the second week in a series that we're running called Through the Eyes. And I really wanted to make sure that we didn't have any parts of it that were missing. The second reason, continuing into that thought, is the response from this past Sunday. People really enjoyed the message, not just enjoyed it, but it really ministered to them and helped them to see not just their Heavenly Father, but also themselves in a completely different way. And I felt like this is something that we needed to get out there. And so that's why we're doing this today. So... Basically, we're just going to re-record it, and we're going to do it, like I said, more podcast style. So without further ado, let's turn to chapter 15 of the Gospel of Luke. That's Luke chapter 15. And as we get going, I want to kind of recap just for a moment. If you didn't get a chance to listen last week or to be there last week uh, for week one, then I'd really love for you to... Go ahead and check that out here on the podcast or on the website. But we talked about this idea of seeing life through the eyes of Eve. And it was interesting how Eve was deceived. Um, She didn't just wake up one day and say, uh, I'm going to sin. I'm going to do something wrong. Her and Adam didn't have this evil plan. But she was tempted with shame by an outside source, the serpent. And so basically what the serpent was saying was, you know, you believe that you're dearly loved of God, but I'm here to tell you that you aren't. In so many words, the serpent was tempting her to shame, to believe a story about herself that wasn't true. And so for many of us, we have outside influences at many times that will come at us. We could call them the Satan or devil, the accuser, the slanderer, uh, people or outside sources that will try to convince us that we're something other than than what God has called us. That's one scenario. But today's scenario is going to be a little different. Because sometimes I believe that we don't just deal with outside sources. Sometimes it's an inside source called ourselves. There's times where we will tell ourselves a different story than what God has told us about ourselves. And I think it's important that we see this. It's not just outward influences. Sometimes it's inward where we truly don't believe the story that God has told us about ourselves. And for some of us, we just have to awaken to that story. We're not really used to hearing that story of being good and perfect and pleasing and holy and acceptable. We, we don't really believe that about ourselves. And because we don't believe that, we don't walk in that true identity that we have. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. So today we're going to talk about through the eyes of the prodigal son. Now in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son, or what we call the prodigal son. So I want to pick up the story here in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Then he said, this is Jesus speaking, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now think about this. This man, this patriarch of the family, had built up this livelihood. And the son comes to him and says, Father, I want my portion. In other words, I want my inheritance. Well, how many know that an inheritance isn't given until the person giving it passes away? So literally... This son is saying to his father, drop dead. I mean, this isn't a good situation. But look what the father does. He divides to him his livelihood. He gives him his inheritance anyway. Verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with what? Prodigal living. That word prodigal could be defined as wasteful, You know, spendthrift, a squanderer. He squandered everything. He wasted everything. Verse 14, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, But when he came to himself, I want us to think about this phrase here. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Now, listen closely. This is the speech that he began to rehearse. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now think about this speech. He's actually saying that I don't belong to the family anymore. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now go back to verse 17. I want to look again at this phrase. But when he came to himself. This is really cool. In the, great, in the Greek, I should say, that phrase is actually, erikomai eis heatu. Erkomai aceatu. heatu. Now the word erkomai actually means to come to one's senses, to return to a healthy state of mind. And heatu means to come to oneself, to a better mind. So think about this. He literally has this moment in the pig slop, spent everything completely wasted, had nothing left, was starving. He literally at this moment, came back to his true identity. Or we could say, at least he began to come back to his true identity. This is really cool to me. He started to have this paradigm shift. He started to change the way he thought. We could call it repentance, metanoia in the Greek, To change one's mind. He began to change his mind about who he was. Because the whole reason he was acting a fool, the whole reason he was the prodigal, he was wasting, uh, the reason he was doing these things is because he had lost his true identity. But look at this. He came to himself. In other words, I know whose son I am. I know what family I belong to. What am I doing in this stinking pig slop? (laughs) Now again, that's... That's my vernacular. It's not really recorded that way, but I'm I'm just imagining that the son is beginning to have this inner turmoil about why am I in this place of pig slop? I don't belong here. This is not my place. We could sum it up like this. The prodigal began to shift in his thinking. He was coming back to the truth about who he was and whose he was. Now, what of the statement make me like one of your hired servants. I mean this is this is a pretty powerful statement. Not only did he think he wasn't worthy, he asked the father if he could just become some sort of hired servant. Now there's a really cool book out there called The Prodigal God. If you haven't had a chance, please pick it up and give it a read. There's some great things in there. But Timothy Keller says this, and I think it's a very interesting historical take on it. He says this is a very specific request. Servants worked on the estate and lived there, but hired men were various kinds of tradesmen and craftsmen who lived in local villages and earned a wage. Many commentators believe that the son's strategy went something like this. The younger son had disgraced his family and therefore the whole community. The rabbis taught that if you had violated the community standards, an apology was not sufficient. You also had to make restitution. So the son intends to say this, Father, I know I don't have the right to come back into the family, but if you apprentice me to one of your hired men so I can learn a trade and earn a wage, then at the very least I could begin to pay off my debt. That was the plan. There in the pigsty, the younger son rehearses his speech. When he feels he is ready for the confrontation, he picks up and begins the journey home. So think about that. The son knows he's starving. I believe he's beginning to change his mind. He's beginning to see things differently. Remember, through the eyes of the prodigal son. And so he, at least, at at the very least, knows that his father has to be gracious. I mean, after all, the father gave him his inheritance before the father died, right? So even there, we can see this gracious attitude of the father. So he must have thought, okay. My dad's good enough if I were to apologize somehow and then somehow uh, work with, apprentice to one of the hired servants, then I would be able to start or begin to pay him back somehow. See how the son, even though he started to shift, thought maybe a little restitution would help his case. Anyway, we pick it up in verse 20 here. And he arose and came to his father. But look at this. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now look at the response of the father. He sees him a long way off, a great way off. To me, that shows me that the father had never lost sight of his son. In other words, the son's relationship had not changed as far as the Father was concerned. Now, we got to pick this up, because we talked about this last week as well. But I want us to see the heart of the Father here. This is the heart of God towards us. Not only that, he had this great compassion. I don't want to break down the Greek, but that word compassion is like this, this great movement in the lower regions, like, ugh, like it just, he was longing for his son. And then it says, he ran. Now, this is not something normal for the patriarch of the family. He wouldn't run. Servants run. The man of the house doesn't, right? And then he fell on his neck and kissed him. And in the Greek, it means kissed him over and over and over and over again. So this is like the father's heart of love is just pouring forth into this son, stinky, fresh out of pig slop, Fresh from a journey. I mean, you know he probably didn't smell too good. And the father falls upon him and kisses him over and over. He didn't care. I don't care how you smell. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how you look. Are you picking this up? I love you. I want to be with you. My relationship with you has never changed. It only changed on your end. We've got to see this. So look at this. Right after the father kisses him, Holds him, falls upon him, embraces him. Here comes the rehearsed speech. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But look at this, verse 22. But, see, the father cuts it off immediately. The father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And look at this. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. That word merry actually means delighted or to delight in. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. They began to delight in the return of the son. the son who returned in his mind, I believe slowly but surely to his proper status. Now, think about this, okay? He rehearsed what he would say. Basically, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm not worthy. Just please let me be a hired servant. The father sees him a long way off. In other words, the father never forgot him. The son may have felt estranged, but the father didn't. We've got to pick this up, okay? Because we talked about this idea of estrangement. See, the father runs to him and the son says what he has rehearsed. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And did you notice that the son wasn't even able to finish his statement? Remember, the, the statement was, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he goes on, make me like one of your hired servants. What does the father do? He cuts him off. He couldn't even finish the statement. This blows my mind. It was like the father saying, no, 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 we're not going there. We're not going there. And the father's response, he immediately addresses the son's mindset. I want us to see this. He's addressing the son's mindset. And we talked last week about the idea of separation. And and for some of us, I know it was it was tough. Some of you came up to me afterward and were like, wow, pastor, that just kind of blew my whole paradigm wide open. This completely blew my mind. This idea of separation and that sin doesn't separate us from God. Now, I know that a lot of us have been told that sin separates us from God. But think about it. In the creation story, in the creation poem, he didn't run from Adam and Eve. He came to them in their state of hiding. And what did he do? He clothed them. He's the one that dressed them. Adam and Eve ran and hid. God didn't run and hide. He came to them and he clothed them. See, I really believe this. And we're going to hammer this like every week. I want us to get this. I really truly believe it's not a separation because of sin. It's not like God says, I can't be around you because you've sinned. I think it's a matter of estrangement. It's mental estrangement. They no longer felt close to him. But the truth was, and he was reassuring them by coming to them, by clothing them and dressing them, that, listen, there's no issue here. And if you think about it, the temptation isn't first to sin, right? It's to shame. Because shame is the first temptation. It's a strike at your identity. It's saying you aren't who God says you are. You aren't the beloved of God. You aren't someone that God wants to hang around and be around and have a relationship with. So, why don't you just do life yourself, your own effort? Sin is a result of falling for the temptation of shame. See, a lot of times we put the cart before the horse. We think, well, the first temptation is to just fall into sin. No, the temptation is to shame. It's to believe something that's not true about yourself. And when you don't walk out your identity... You know what? It will change everything because our actions reflect the identity that we believe about ourselves. Did you catch that? Our actions reflect the identity that we believe about ourselves. So, in this moment, the Father, I want us to get this. The Father, with the very words of the Son, I am no longer worthy to be called your Son, still hanging in the air, what does He say? Bring the robe, put a ring on His finger. Put shoes on his feet and get this kill the fatted calf. Now, this reminds me of last week as well. Adam and Eve sin, they hide in shame, and what does God do? He covers them with animal skins. How did he get those animal skins? He killed an animal, which is a reminder that this is the first recorded sacrifice. God kills an animal. By the way, who sacrifices the animal? God does. And why would he do that? Now, some would say, well, God, you know, there had to be a sacrifice so that God could be comfortable with man. No, it's the other way around. It's so they could be comfortable with God. And look at who provided the sacrifice. I'm telling you right now, even in sin, God the Father doesn't dissolve relationship or disown, but the issue is we feel estranged. We feel that we no longer have relationship. That that word estranged by definition is to no longer feel part of a group or a relationship. We could even say to no longer feel like part of the family. I mean, look at the prodigal son. I mean, he was saying, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like a hired servant. Even though he began to change his mind, the father had to completely help and reassure and make the son feel comfortable by what? Look at, offering a sacrifice. The father here in this story does the same thing. He kills the fatted calf. I used to see that and think, oh, cool, man, we're having beef brisket. This is great. We're on a party. But it goes so much deeper than that. He wanted the son to feel comfortable, to feel part of the family, to feel like there was no separation, there was no estrangement. Do you see this? The animal is sacrificed to make the son comfortable with the father, not the other way around. Man, this is beautiful. You are not unworthy. You are not a hired servant. You are not less than what I say you are. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, what did this do to the son's thinking? In the midst of sin, in the midst of running, in the midst of estrangement, the father makes a sacrifice to say, Son, you are worthy. Your relationship and status has not changed. Your mind changed. So, guess what? Awaken to your right relationship, awaken to your righteousness. Come on, somebody. Is, is this? Am I just preaching myself happy here or what? This is so good. So think about this. The father recognizes his son's state of mind and he addresses that immediately. No holding back. Let's stop it right now in its tracks. You're thinking wrong, but you don't see it. So he reassures the son. Now, the Apostle Paul deals with this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says this in verse 1 picture where God found us. Now think about sometimes our lives, even as prodigals. We we go our own way, and it's because we believe this, this lie of estrangement. We believe this lie of separation. So he says, picture where God found us. We were in a death trap of an inferior lifestyle, constantly living below the blueprint measure of our lives. Now other translations say that we were dead in trespasses and sins. And we've talked about this a few different times, even several weeks ago, about the word sin. In the Greek, it's the word hamartia. And by definition, if you really if you really dig into this, sin is simply to live out of context with the blueprint of one's design. See, so when you act like a fool, when you act crazy, when you go off the rails, when you're not walking in love, when, when you commit sin, when you stumble and misstep, it's simply that you're living out of the context of the blueprint that God's designed you for. It's, it's behaving out of tune with God's original harmony as what Francois de Tois says in the mirror. It, it, it's beautiful because it shows us that we don't have to give in to those things. That's not what we're built for. Now just jump down to verse 5 here of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, this is how grace rescued us while we were yet in the state of deadness and indifference in our deviations we were co-quickened together with christ we had nothing to do with it i want you to catch that we had nothing to do with it by grace you are having been saved grace defines us and interprets our salvation now the word that's often translated trespasses And I might not say this right, because it is Greek, but it's the word paraptoma, paraptoma. It comes from para, which means close proximity, and the word pipto, which means to descend from a higher place to a lower. It literally means this, to stop flying. Now think about this, a trespass is losing altitude. We could say that losing altitude speaks of mankind's fallen mindset, now, now the sentence, by grace you have been saved, you, you've heard this several times here in Ephesians, it literally translates. Now, I want you to hear this because the way it said matters. It literally translates, by grace you are having been saved. D- did you catch that? By grace you are. In other words, by the grace of God, this is who you are having been saved. So be who you be. Live out of the identity that God has called you to. And by the way, the blueprint, that has never changed. Think about that. And it says, having been saved, having been sozoed, we could say healed, restored, made whole. But it's by grace you are. That should be a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or something. By grace you are. I love it. In other words, we had no contribution to our salvation. It's done. Will you believe it? I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's believing because you know, I say it all the time, but it's, it's true. We only walk in what we believe. Verse six, we are co-included in his resurrection. We are also co-elevated in his ascension to be equally present in the throne room of the heavenly realm where we are co-seated with him in his executive authority. Look at this. We are fully represented in Christ Jesus. Imagine how God is now able for timeless perpetuity to exhibit the trophy of the wealth of his grace demonstrated, look at this, in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Grace exhibits excessive evidence of the success of the cross. See, sometimes it's like you need to ask people, do you believe that the cross worked? Do you believe that the the burial and resurrection truly worked? that all things became new, that Jesus changed the whole playing field, that the whole world, the whole cosmos was affected by this death, burial, and resurrection. It's awesome. Verse 8, Your salvation is not a reward for good behavior. It was a grace thing from start to finish. You had no hand in it. And even the gift to believe simply reflects His faith. So what does the father have to do? Well, the father has to deal with his son's mindset. I believe many of us listening here today would say that, wow, I I need to deal with my mindset. There's some things that I'm not believing about myself that father has called me to, that father has said I am, and I'm choosing by an act of my will, to not believe that. I'm choosing to give in to this temptation of shame. I'm choosing to believe in the idea of separation when really, we could could bring it right down to this, it's just estrangement and it's on our part, not his. Look at the father's response to the son. So again, he has to deal with the son's mindset in order to restore him or reconcile him back home. Pastor Chris down in Palm Harbor, Florida, he said this, and it was I just thought it was beautiful. I had to quote him on this: "The son left home, but home never left the son." Let's say that again: The son left home, but home never left the son. But listen, until the son came to himself, what's the word? Erkelmai, to come to one's senses, return to a healthy state of mind, or we could say a better mind. We could say a better picture of himself. And guess what? The father reinforces this picture. No estrangement, no separation. He says, listen, son, change your mind. I mean, that's really the gospel. Change your mind. What did Jesus say? Repent. Change your mind and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, it is in you. Do you believe it? Because when you do, you'll begin to walk in what you believe. So home was calling. It was wooing him. And until he woke up, he could not enjoy the benefits of sonship. He simply could not enjoy the benefits of sonship. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness This power was given to us through knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and integrity Listen God has given you everything you need for life and for godliness by his divine power Remember It's grace from start until finish. And here's the thing. He's the one who called you by his own glory. Listen, this just takes all the pressure off, right? This is something that God did, not something that we do. Let me put it this way. You believing, whether it's coming to an altar and praying a prayer whether it's simply hearing the gospel and believing, do you know that your believing doesn't make it true? Your believing makes it true to you. You follow that logic? In other words, Jesus already did this. The Father has already performed and done everything for you. He's given you everything you need for life and for godliness, but you simply need to awaken. That's believe it, believe it and receive it. That's all we have to do because again, You will not walk in anything you don't believe. You have to believe it to walk in it. So this is powerful to me. We have to see this. It's so important that we don't think it's some magic happens. Like I pray a prayer and and some magic happens and suddenly, oh, like everything's new. Yeah, everything's new to you, but the work's already been done. The work's finished. So you pray in the prayer. It's not like, you know, God was laying down and he jumps up and goes, oh, okay, I better perform this real quick. No, God has already done it. It's a done deal, right? Jesus did it. You're completely forgiven. He's waiting for you to awaken to that. And when you awaken, we could say when you believe, when you have faith, which by the way, even the faith is a gift from God. (laughs) Pretty cool, right? When you awaken to it, when you believe it, then you begin to walk in it. You see that? This is huge. And so I really hope that today you've gleaned something from this. You, you've seen yourself a little bit differently. Maybe this Through the Eyes series will continue to help you see God in a different light, see yourself in a different light, and in turn see others in a different light. This is the place where everything begins to change. Because remember, your actions reflect the identity that you believe about yourself. I want to pray with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. It's so huge. It's so magnificent. And just seeing these stories that even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our estrangement, even in the midst of our separating from you, because I believe that the only way that sin can separate is when we believe that wrong story. And so we then run from you because of guilt and shame and we begin to hide but you always come to us you meet us where we are it's like we could go so far off the road be in the deepest ditch of all ditches and simply all we have to do is turn and there you are right there you've never left us you promised you would never leave us you would never forsake us so we thank you for that now i want you to do this with me I want you to place your hand on your heart as long as you can. If you're driving or something, then just, I guess, mentally do it. But every week we like to make a confession. Confession simply means to agree with. Let's say what God says about us. So just place your hand on your heart, and if you want, close your eyes just to focus. Let's refocus for just a moment and say this with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love toward me. I trust you heavenly father show me is there any area of my life that i feel estrangement is there any area of my life where i feel separation holy spirit show me those areas in jesus i ask you to bring truth to bring healing to bring sozo, restoration, deliverance to those areas. And right now, I say with my mouth and I choose by an act of my will to trust you. Now say that. Say, Father, I trust you. Father, you can be trusted. I give this to you. You love me. My status has never changed. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Hey, listen. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I really hope that this message has blessed you. Uh, We're going to continue here in the next couple of weeks on this series, Through the Eyes, and look at some different Bible characters and kind of how they saw God in themselves and seeing some transformation in their thinking because that's what it's all about we're renewing our minds so again until next week i love you hope to see you at a service if you're in the area grace and peace my friends for more information about faith city church please go to faithcity.tv as always we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our lord and savior jesus christ